0: Hey, friends, welcome back to another episode of the In No Hurry podcast. My name is Cole Douglas Claiborne. I am the host of this show, and I'm super excited to be back with you again this week for a new episode. I'm joined this week by Dr. Myron Roll. Some of you who are sports fans might remember him from his time playing in the NFL, he was also a college football star and he has just an awesome story which you're going to get to hear today obviously but he's got a book that just came out earlier this year it's called The 2% Way and I really love the concept of this book it's really all about how can I be 2% better today than I was yesterday and I think that's a message that we can really resonate with I think so many of us maybe are caught up in we have all of these great plans and if you're like me it's very easy to get too far ahead of yourself and maybe start to compare yourself and feel like you don't measure up and feel like maybe you're not making the progress or improvements in the way that you were expecting to. But I love this approach of just being 2% better today than I was yesterday. The book is called The 2% Way, How a Philosophy of Small Improvements Took Me to Oxford, the NFL, and Neurosurgery. Again, Dr. Roll has just an incredible story, and I'm so excited you've joined us to hear that today, this week on In No Hurry. So thanks for sticking around. Here is my conversation with Dr. Myron Roll. I'm excited to be joined by Dr. Myron Roll, former NFL player, neurosurgeon, now just a wide variety of titles to your name. Myron, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm doing well. How are
0: you? Doing well. Doing well. It's a nice day here in Kentucky. So uh, just walk me through, uh, I guess, kind of your interest level. It sounded like you got interested in neurosurgery like when you were in like fifth grade is what I read somewhere. Uh, where did your passion for studying that come from uh, to where you've been able to have a career uh, in playing football and then also now uh, doing surgery?
1: Yeah, so, you know, my my story starts in the Bahamas. My parents uh, were born and raised there, had us there uh, early in life. I left after I was around two or three years old and eventually grew up in America uh, in a town outside of Atlantic City, New Jersey, uh, called Galloway Township. And um, coming to America, my parents really focused on education and they wanted us to have heroes and role models around us that look like us so that we could know that we can achieve success by developing ourselves as good Christians, good leaders, good citizens, good thinkers, good men. Uh, and one of the people they put in front of me was Dr. Ben Carson, a pediatric mm-hmm. neurosurgeon who separated two twins from the little lobe and have both of them live. And hearing his story, uh, being Black, having parents that focus on education, uh, being a Christian, uh, not having a lot of money growing up, we were kind of a, a modest family, not, weren't we're incredibly affluent. Uh, And then also him having a bit of a temper, too. I had somewhat of a temper when I was younger, too. And so seeing a lot of parallels in his story, his adolescent years, formative years and mine, he became my academic hero. And he truly (laughs) planted the seed of neurosurgery in my head so that one day when I was done doing football or whatever sport I wanted to do at the time, uh, it would be the next chapter of my life would be one where I could study the brain and hopefully help people uh, with their neurosurgical disease someday in the operating room.
0: I think it's really fascinating because you know whenever you're in in high school and you were getting recruited by virtually every college in the country, and it's very easy to see what the appeal of a professional athletic career can bring you, Uh, you know the money and the fame and all of that that can come with it, yet you stayed true to that desire that you had. How did you navigate that throughout high school when you were getting recruited? You had all this attention for your athletic prowess. You go to Florida State. You know, have a lot of success there, uh, which we can get into to your story, how you ended up at Oxford as well here in a little bit. But how did you navigate that to where maybe you didn't let that sidetrack you from what it was you ultimately wanted to do?
1: I give a lot of credit to my parents. Actually, all the credit, essentially. I mean, my mommy and daddy, uh, they knew that coming to America with an abundance of resources and ample opportunities for us to be outstanding uh, leaders in whatever discipline or field we chose uh, was available, was attainable for us. You know, we're coming from the Bahamas where on the outside it may look like paradise and sunshine, which alive it is, but there are some parts of the Bahamas, especially where we're from, uh, where you're a little bit limited with your resources, a little bit more low income. Uh, so there's some, there's some struggles and some barriers and some systemic sort of issues uh, that may not allow you to have the proliferative success that you truly want, but coming to the United States, a lot of Bahamans feel very strongly about you work hard, you grind, you put academics first, and you become a total person with a breadth of skill and talent, and then you can go very far and take advantage of this opportunity. And we knew that we had cousins and uncles and grandparents and godbrothers, godsisters who were still back home and would have loved to trade places with us, us go back to the Bahamas and then come to America. And so the idea of being complacent or not being able to focus on being an, uh, being, uh, being uh, educated, being knowledgeable, having intellectual prowess, and that not being a priority was never an option for us. So I think the balance of school and sport or school and whatever else came after uh, was routine for me. I, I did it through middle school, through high school, carried on through college. And, and now uh, that sports are done for me and I'm in neurosurgery, I'm allowing what football uh, has taught me Uh, To inform how I practice medicine and how I treat patients through discipline, focus, hard work, communicating, getting along with people, teamwork, all those things that I I picked up as an athlete along the way.
0: Yeah, I I loved the connection of just you're you're playing football in front of, you know, 50, 60,000, sometimes more than that fans. Uh, it's a lot of pressure you deal with. And obviously you have pressure in your job and uh, in a unique way, playing football really prepares you for that because you're having to perform Now, granted it's, it's a game. It's different than neurosurgery, but you're performing, uh, you know, in, in front of all of these people. And uh, I guess I'd love for you just to kind of share your your story a little bit for those that maybe are a little bit unfamiliar, but you you're playing f- football at Florida state, and then you get an opportunity uh, through being a Rhodes scholar, which is a very, uh, exclusive group of people to go and study at Oxford can you talk us through how that all came to be and and what that season of life was like navigating that because uh I I did some reading and and correct me if I'm wrong on this but it sounded like there was a you had an interview for that and then you also had a game the same day and there was a lot of like a chartered flight that was involved and uh just a lot probably a lot of stress uh I, I would imagine so coordinating that logistically and really just your life coordinating that logistically. You you put off the draft for a year, uh, to go and study at Oxford. Uh, just what was that season of life like and, and how did that all come to be? And how did you know that that was what you wanted to pursue?
1: Well, even prior to that, um, that season of my life, I would say the prior season of my life, uh, opened up the idea of being a Rhodes Scholar. I went to high school in Princeton, New Jersey at the Hun School of Princeton, a boarding school. So I lived at the school. And I would go over to Princeton University and play basketball at their gym, Jadwin Gym. They had this big um, trophy case and uh, sort of uh, dedication to Bill Bradley. And I said, this this guy sounded like he was a rock star. I mean, he was the best player in college basketball, went on to play for the Knicks became a Hall of Famer there, Senator, and then he actually won something called a Rhodes Scholarship. I'd never heard of it prior to um, my that one encounter with Bill Bradley and seeing his trophies. I went, Googled him, researched him, saw what he did. I said, "Wow, well, he is the epitome of what a student athlete ought to be. Maybe when I get to college, I can be like Bill Bradley. So I would tell all the schools that were recruiting me, Notre Dame, Texas, University of Southern California, Florida, Michigan, Georgia, everywhere, Florida State included, I wanted to be a Rhodes Scholar. Can you help me do that? And uh, when I got to campus, they would put me in front of the Office of National Fellowships, other people who are applying for Truman and Marshall and Fulbright Scholarships, and as well as Rhodes, and have me sort of go through that process of, of getting there. So when I won the scholarship, it was the same day that we were playing University of Maryland, uh, November 22nd, 2008. My team was already up in College Park, Maryland, but my scholarship interview was in Birmingham, Alabama. Won a scholarship, called my teammates, called the coaches, called my parents and my family, told them I won, they were super excited. They said, well, get on that plane and come on up here. So I got a private plane from Birmingham, flew to Maryland, got into the game around the second quarter, we thumped Maryland, beat them like 37 <laughs> to three. It was it was nasty. We dominated them start to finish. Uh, they really didn't even need me in that game. I was an All-American, but they were like, yeah, we're good. We got you, brother. You you handled what you did on on in the yeah. classroom, and now we got you on the field. And so uh, it was a great win. But it was a very trying moment, too, because after that, I really had to make a choice. Do I go to the NFL, where I was projected to be a first-round pick, make $9 million guaranteed, be the 22nd man on the roster, and play for 10 years? Or do I go to Oxford? And get my master's degree in medical anthropology, um, immerse myself in a new culture, meet new friends, develop my intellectual capital, be a leader. And so it was Oxford, the NFL, NFL or Oxford. I asked asked many people what I should do. Majority of them said go to the NFL because you're hot right now. You got the momentum. Do it. Very small minority said go to Oxford. You've always placed the premium on the word student before athlete. So go to Oxford. I did end up going to England, got my degree, came back. I drafted much later in the NFL. Sixth round. Only played for three years, only made $50,000 with a guaranteed signing bonus, made some more on the salary, but the signing bonus was a lot less than $9 million, which which would have come if I had come out a year earlier. But if I had to make the choice again, I would make the same exact choice because I believe it placed me in a position to be an inspiration and potentially be a leader for some people when, when parents come up to me and say, I've used your story to inspire my son or my daughter. It makes it all worth a while for sure.
0: Yeah, I was uh, doing just some research on your backstory today, and I saw on the side, I haven't watched it yet, there was a side video on YouTube, it said J.J. Watt credits uh, former Florida State safety uh, Myron Roll for his inspiration, so I'd be curious if you watched that and and what others have said, but I I can imagine why that would be an inspiration, uh, just because you can get wrapped up, whether you're playing a high school sport, youth sport, obviously a professional sport, identity can come into it where you're wrapped up. Maybe your identity is, is geared to a sport. I think I see that a lot in athletics. Uh, most of my life has been in athletics, whether that was as a, an athlete myself or now as a high school coach. I see that where it's very easy to wrap your identity in that. How how did you navigate that? Maybe that was a, a struggle you had. How did you navigate that? And whenever you have talked to people who say, hey, you're my inspiration, maybe that's a struggle they've had. How do you help them navigate that where, Hey, yeah, you can make this and it's life-changing money for some people, but for you to go to Oxford was also a life-changing decision. So you kind of had to weigh, which of these life-changing opportunities do I pursue uh, when it it relates to identity and and just kind of being able to discern what the right choice is. uh, How did you do that? And maybe what are some ways that you have advised others who are in similar situations where they're, Deciding between two things that are equally good, but not, they don't—they don't want to make the wrong choice.
1: Yeah, I think for me, I—I I, I definitely lean on my faith. I prayed a lot about it. I asked mm-hmm. God to give me some um, a clairvoyant sort of lens to uh, to understand uh, what's in front of me at this particular point. I also asked the people who I love. You know, I think it's always important to have a support group and people who. Will iron uh, sharpen your iron, right? Iron sharpens iron, as the Bible says. Uh, who can help buttress you forward and and help speak life into you objectively, uh, and are somewhat disconnected from the emotional side of your your decision? Uh, they can speak, you know, with with a little bit of uh, clarity and can help you uh, move forward with your decision. But I ultimately really tell my mentees if you have a difficult choice and you come to a fork in the road, think about. The decision that will uplift and move the most people. Think about the one that will have the most effect on the community, most effect on serving others uh, outside of yourself. If you if you put others first, then you will see yourself in the long run eventually rise, and your trajectory will go where you want it to go. But if you put if you if you have your myopia and your perspective as I'm going here to serve, I'm going here to be behind and allow you to step forward and allow you to shine. Uh, that to me is is so amazing. And so going to Oxford was. Are a lot about what are what do my future patients need from me what does the future global health community need from me what do these young black boys and black girls from the bahamas who seem like you know i don't really have a, anywhere to go but now i see one of my own making it what do they see from me if they can draw from me and seek and go farther than i've gone then that decision was less about me and more about them and more about their ability to to move forward. And then I talk about the 2% weight to my mentees. As you're making these decisions, take it small steps at a time where you don't feel like you have to be rushed. You don't feel like you're out of pace, you're out of beat, you're out of rhythm, you're out of tempo. You can just take your time, take small victories, small steps daily towards the goal of being who you need to be, who you want to be, and who others can see you to be uh, so that they can grow as well. So Uh, I I definitely have had to make some very difficult choices in life, and I've had people ask me about that decision and and others uh, what they ought to do. And this is some of the things that I tell them, um, as as matter of factly as I'm telling you now. And uh, it's been, you know, I can't say it's 100% foolproof, but it's a good starting point and a good place to to begin uh, your journey forward.
0: Yeah, that was one of the things I had written down here is your idea of setting modest daily goals. I think that is so important whenever you're trying to establish new rhythms or, or set a goal is incremental uh, measurable goals. I think a lot of times people get into the, the the struggle you know, around New Year's. They want to set goals or resolutions. They don't always attach something to it that is measurable. Uh, they maybe bite off more than they can chew or they just say, hey, I want to lose weight. They don't have any number attached to it. They don't really have a plan. Um, I guess, as it relates to that, uh, what, what have been some things that have worked for you? Cause you've had to balance a lot of different things that I assume have required you to set those types of goals, to get there, to reach certain plateaus. You don't just try to, you know, bite off way more than you can chew off the bat. You've got to work there. What are some tips that you've done that, that maybe somebody's trying to establish that, whether that is to play a sport professionally or to go to medical school, things like that. Uh, those are both very, uh, high attainable goals you know if you can set your mind to it obviously some people don't have the physical gifts to be a professional athlete but whatever their goal is if they want to get there what are some practical ways to set these goals check be able to check them off and make sure that you're progressing toward them
1: yeah so i think one the first step is knowing the goal right knowing the target absolutely and the second is being incredibly focused to make your mind up that this is this is um this is the process i'm going to commit myself to and be comfortable with taking small steps. Don't feel like you're rushed. Don't feel like you have to measure yourself or compare yourself to your colleagues who are on social media who look like they have it all tomorrow or have it all wrapped up by next week. That's Some of that's not true. Some of that's a facade, and that's not you, right? What God has for you is for you. And So keep on your path and keep moving forward. I think it's also important to actually have the motor senses of your brain telling your body to write down what it is that you want to do for the day or text it to yourself or whatever the case may be. And once you finish that for the day, check it off because that check, that feeling of seeing it Mm -hmm. crossed off of that list, that activates the excitatory pathway in the limbic lobe that makes you feel rewarded from those neurotransmitters that get released into your brain. You feel like a moment of euphoria that like, look, I did something good today. I'm better today than I was yesterday. And it's still a good reminder to always see Look what I've done. Look how far I've come. I think it's also important to have an accountability buddy, somebody to check in. I have never been one to walk through life in a silo by myself. I always find it imperative to have other people with me, my brothers, my wife now, right? I just married my wife two and a half years ago and she's my best friend. Having my parents and fraternity brothers, football teammates, have them check in and make sure that I'm doing the right thing as well. And then also checking in on where your growth has gone. Right, So in a month, just take a step back, look back and say, okay, well, what have we done? Have we truly committed ourselves to this, this process, to this goal? Uh, six months, look back and see. So there should be some time check-in points uh, that you build into to this path. And you know, one thing that I think is so lovely about the 2% way, uh, it's utility in professional development, Personal, relational, spiritual, emotional, whatever it is, it, it's, it's, yes, it is, you know, self-improvement, but there's ideas of just the process of getting better, even if you don't attain that goal, or you make you miss the mark just a little bit, you've gotten better from once you started. So if you shift your focus to another goal or shift your focus to another chapter of your life or transition to something else you are still light years ahead of where you were before, based on the fact that you're able to take small, lean steps forward every single day. I love that approach. I've used it in every aspect of my life is what we write right in this book, with human experiences that I think people can relate to feeling of doubt, uncertainty, prejudice, feeling awkward and socially awkward in, yeah. in circles that may not be like, you know, very common or comfortable for you uh, dealing with relationships that, you know, long distance relationships like what my wife and I had to deal with, work, workplace challenges, all these things that matter to a lot of people. That's why I feel like this book is so powerful because it reaches several different audiences, for sure.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I think just the way that you're describing that, I mean, I, I could think of ways that I have had you know pitfalls that I've fallen into whenever setting goals and not measuring you know what I want to attain and, and that sort of a thing. what what have you whenever you've set your own goals and maybe some things didn't uh, pan out the way that you wanted it to? Have you been able to be self-reflective? like what what could I change about goal setting this next time? and how have you advised others too? whenever they're maybe they're trying to set goals or trying to lose weight or um, you know save money, whatever the case is? what have you seen are, are ways that people usually struggle and, and how can they identify that to make a change where next time they set a goal, they're not you know running into the same pitfalls.
1: I, I think a lot of the struggle that I've seen and I've done it myself too, is um, the, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, the comparisons to peers, yeah. the comparison to peer groups. Um, it can feel uh, incredibly uh, consuming when you, um, you 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 try to position yourself and your pathway to somebody else's, uh, and, and you're just not sure if you're doing enough, and you start to question yourself and doubt yourself, and that hesitancy, that apprehension, that can paralyze people from moving forward or from from activating themselves to do to do the work. Uh, and you know, in my field, just, just on a personal level, there's no way that you can hesitate, right? You cannot hesitate when you're in the brain or the spine that can lead to catastrophic injury or catastrophic doubt uh, sorry catastrophic um consequences deficits and 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 so that to me has been some of the biggest things that are i've seen complications i've seen impede the progress of of individuals uh but but what's blessings about the two percent way um and and i I love it because it's worked for me it's worked for others as well and i hope that people find it in this book it really, really does a great job of just suppressing that noise and allowing you to sort of saying, "I know it's disappointing what what I've come from. I know, you know, I've come from somewhere where, you know, I I wasn't my best in that season of my life. But here I am. I'm called for such a time as this. I'm now here in this moment. I'm going to laser focus into these steps, and that feeling of getting a little bit better, moving a little bit forward every day is going to be the validation enough for me." to say i'm in the right path i'm moving in the right direction and i'm doing god's will and his purpose and uh it's, it's a blessing
0: yeah i've I've talked a lot on this podcast about comparison uh just because i think it is such a paralyzing emotion it's something that i've struggled with a lot and yeah you can miss the calling that god has on your specific life because you're trying to live what somebody else's path is and i had a, a pastor uh, here in town that, that preached it uh I mean this is kind of an elementary way of putting it but I, it was still profound was basically like you know you're driving in your own path you you start looking over at somebody else's lane and trying to drive in their lane you're going to crash and I know that that's been said many times but uh, I think that's very true of any career that you're on you have these goals and it's easy to look at this person has maybe achieved the goal that I want uh and I haven't gotten there yet you either try to speed the process up or change the process and I think what you're speaking to is is uh, from your own experience, I think is relevant to anybody else in, in their journey too. I, I probably should have asked this right off the top, but you've mentioned the 2% wave. We obviously mentioned the top of the the, the podcast, the name of the book. Uh, can you explain just how this idea came to be? I think it was from a coach that you, that you were with that that uh, mentioned this, something about, hey, you're the, the guys at uh, you know, Clemson, guys at Alabama, guys at Florida, they're doing this. You gotta be 2% better than them. How, how did that idea come to be from that coach? And why is this such a, pertinent idea for uh, professional life as well.
1: Yeah. Mickey Andrews was my defense coordinator at Florida state university. And he was the one that really put it on us. Uh, He got it from his coach at university of Alabama, Paul bear Bryant, who we all know is one of the greatest coaches ever. Uh, So coach Andrews would definitely challenge us every day uh, to grab 2% of increase in our stamina, our ability to tackle, our ability to disguise blitz packages, high point, the football, and he would talk about those other ACC schools or the competitors on our schedule who may have been working just as hard and they were getting a little bit better. He wanted us to have practical goals of improvement, not, not saying, Oh, get hundred percent better today. I mean, that's doubling right. your talent in one day. That's, yes. that's impractical. Not that, that's not yeah. realistic. Yeah. You can't do that. So, but if you get that 2% and and it wasn't so much the, the number two, it just, it just made it manageable that instead of quantifying it as two, just quantify it as like, okay, I'm just getting a little bit better, taking a step, forward, that felt really good to all of us. And it felt um, reasonable to all of us. And so I extrapolated that mindset into life, all my posts on social media, I hashtag 2%, my speeches, I talk about it to my mentees, anything that I do, experiences, videos, I watch conferences, I attend books, I read, I'm trying to extract 2% from that, that that process, or I'm just using 2% of increase every day to just move forward into a better version of myself onward and upward. And so uh, that's where, you know, this book um, really sort of came from. And, yeah. you know, it's, you know, it's interesting that you're the people that come into your life, like my football coach at Florida State, uh, he was there to coach me to, to play a game of football, uh, to help me get to the NFL. But he left that mindset in me uh, that has informed how I do every single thing. It's, so I think it speaks to the value of uh, outstanding leadership and coaches and what they can do uh, for their athletes.
0: That's I was about to say, that's what a good coach does, is they don't just coach you the sport, they teach you things that you can translate to life, and I love that, because one thing that I used to do with my tennis players, uh, my high school tennis coach, and I would, you know, we'd come in to practice one day, and I would I would have them uh, take a note card, and I would, I would say, I want you to write down today, what are two things that you want to work on, and then at the very end of this, I want you to write down, what are two things you felt like you did well, and I would do that every day, so that they felt like there was, they weren't just coming in and they, were just, they weren't just coming in to hit tennis balls. They had an actual purpose. Cause I think, you know, talent is one thing, but getting good at a skill takes that mental aspect where you've got to know what you're doing. If you just go out there and you're just throwing a football around or you don't really are shooting hoops, you're not thinking about it. You're mindless about it. You're not getting any better. I, I had a coach who uh he said, you know, a lot of people like to say practice makes perfect. Well, what happens if you're practicing incorrectly? Mm-hmm. You know, he'd say perfect practice makes perfect makes perfect. And I thought that always stuck with me where you've got to be, in, maybe not perfect, but you've got to be intentional. You can't just go out there and continuously do incorrect things and prepare. So just to commend your coach, uh, you know, I obviously he was a, a division one defensive coordinator for a reason. He knew what he was doing, but uh, that, that's a, that's a great way to take that and adapt to real life. Uh, just getting 2% better. Do, do you think there's an aspect of that where people are maybe not content with only getting 2% better? I think that at times I've seen this with high school athletes where, They want to get so good at something so quickly and they get dejected when it doesn't come so naturally and then they end up quitting a sport i've seen that happen especially with tennis which is a little bit more difficult of a sport to learn i felt that way with when i was trying to learn guitar it was really challenging and uh i had a hard time trying to be two percent better at it is it's obviously a very attainable goal but have you seen that where maybe some people have who you've talked to have struggled with that where what if I want to get 5% better? I want to get 10% better. You know, some people say you got to be 100% better day. Well, that's not really attainable. How, how have you uh, navigated that or seen people struggle with that? And what would be your advice to somebody that maybe uh, is getting impatient with the process of improving at something?
1: Yeah, I have seen that. Uh, and, you know, I think it, it, it goes to um, timing. It goes to uh, some of the, you um, You know, some of the stages that you see, especially in high school, the stages that you see of of players maybe getting the acknowledgement or the scholarship opportunities or the camp offers or the combine offers or the seven on seven team offers, whatever it could be. You see, you sort of like parse it out. Okay, you know my junior season is when I should start to be getting these calls and looks and it's yeah. not happening. So I'm getting a little bit impatient. Maybe let me hurry up the process a little bit more of this learning of, of the skill that I'm getting. Instead of 2%, let me get five, six, seven, eight. 6, 7, 8. But to, to, in my opinion, I think that is where good coaches like yourself, uh, other accountability partners, and just a, a reaffirmation to that particular athlete, woman or man, uh, that it's okay uh, that you do not have to have it all right now, and that your talent will shine through. It's better to be uh, uh, perfection, or to, to have your craft be perfected, uh, mm-hmm. and to really be honed and have the fundament- fundamentals down, uh, than try to rush through the process and end up, you know, um, uh, shorting yourself based on the fact that you're missing some key elements of what you ought to be. I look at it even in surgery now, if you try to rush through the process of trying to figure out how to do a specific uh, tumor case uh, and you just say, you know what, the case is coming up and I haven't done many of these cases, but I want to have this on my CV uh, and I want to have this video shown and one of the films so that people can see that I am, you know, a big bad neurosurgeon, and can do this on my own. You run the risk of one, hurting that patient, Two uh losing credibility in that operating theater with your colleagues, anesthesiologists, circulating nurses, scrub techs, medical manufacturers. And then you also run the risk of um, you know, just just not being an accountable sort of partner and colleague in that in that service. So 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 the idea would be to stay on beat, stay on rhythm, uh take that slow and slow and steady process, 2%. Make sure you have people speaking into you and pouring into you that the fundamentals are important, that you will get there. It is okay. It's going to come. You know, the the the, the sun rises tomorrow, you know, weeping indoors for a night, but joy comes tomorrow. Yeah. God's got another day for us and he plans for us to be great. And he's got us, but you just have to trust the process that you will get there. And in that patience and in that beat rhythm keeping and that tempo keeping, you will find that uh, other things in your life will start to flow together and be so fluid. I think when you rush and you sort of try to move as fast as you can, it just becomes hectic and things get scrambled and it becomes very fast and it doesn't slow down for you. And that's, I think where difficulty happens, where mistakes happen, where confusion happens, where fatigue happens. And then where sometimes people end up quitting and saying, I don't want to do this anymore.
0: Yeah. You're, you know, whenever you're you're speaking about scripture there, the the stuff that has stood with me is all the imagery in the Bible about harvest and how, you know, in, in, in seed time and how long it takes for a crop to be planted. And then to see that, you know, a a farmer can't microwave their crops to, to get them to grow. They have to wait and they have to tend to them. And I think that there's beauty in that entire process. And as you're talking, I just kept thinking like, you know, if we speed it up, we, we, we rob ourselves of that experience of getting to uh, see, you know, if we're believers, seeing what God is doing during that season of life. I know that that's something that I've tried to really hone in on is God's working and it's taking time. And I need to not rush this process because I want to be present for that work that he's doing. But I think even if you're not a believer and and this is just kind of, you know, the things you deal with in life, you do rush that process of, you know, you're growing as an individual. I think about it, you know, working out like you're a professional athlete, you know what it's like to be in a weight room. I particularly don't like being in a weight room. I don't like lifting weights because it's painful, but each time you get pain in your arms, it's muscles breaking down to build back stronger. And it takes a long time to see results. And that's partly why I've gotten discouraged this is exactly what we're talking about is I've gotten I've gotten discouraged by, instead of instead of being content with 2% increase in the weight room, I, I want to see immediate results because it's like, it's, it's, this is so painful right now. It needs to be showing me a payoff. It doesn't always work that way. And so I think what you're saying is so beautiful that like, you got to just stick to the process. So, uh, this book, I think, is, uh, I, I haven't read it yet. I th- I, I'm excited to dig into it and really see some of your tips in it. And uh, just from what we've been talking about, I'm excited to hear your story. Uh, we've we talked about your faith, and I, I do want to, you know, before we wrap up here, uh, last 10 minutes or so, just do want to talk with you about your faith. I mean, your, your faith has played a big role in everything that you've done. You know, obviously, I I assume whenever you're uh, discerning the career decisions you've made, you're you're relying on God's wisdom and God's, uh, you know, that discernment in your life. But what is what? What are some daily rhythms that you have to be in communion with God, to be able to discern what He's got going on in your life? Because you know, you've you've made some pretty big decisions, and then on top of that, your job during a pandemic, especially is vital i mean you're you're taking care of our brain health and and people like you are are quite literally lifesavers and so uh, i'd imagine that your faith especially seeing what you might see every day at your job uh is vital to you so so just walk me through that that foundation of faith and and how you uh have grown in that and, and use it every day and how that how that helps you through your your daily walk and your daily job and everything
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, I I, I enjoy being um, a physician. I enjoy being a father. I enjoy being a husband. I enjoy leading a Christian home. Uh, I enjoy speaking uh, my faith um, very overtly and unapologetically to my mentees, um, not to impose anything, but to um, let them know that this is this is how I manage the the burden sometimes of. Of having all these roles and having this these major responsibilities, sometimes life or death sitting in your hands uh, as a, a, a physician. Um, prayer, daily prayer is incredibly important. Taking that time, carving that space uh, to speak with uh speak with God about um the challenges that I'm thinking, um, you know, the covering that I need uh for myself and my family. I have four children under the age of two we just had newborns uh born three weeks ago uh so we're like brand new again parents just trying to you know work through that and figure figure that out so god's been so good and and the thing i love coming back to uh is you know the story of joseph it's probably my favorite story uh where no matter what joseph was going through um being thrown into a pit um, being uh sold into slavery lied on at pontifer's house and sent into prison forgotten about in prison like all these things kept happening to him you would think as any reasonable person oh man god's like definitely not around he's he's gone he's left this man he has cut ties he said joseph you're on your own but if you read scripture it keeps saying that and god was with him and god was with him and god was with him and to me that gives me the assurance that no matter what i go through uh no matter what challenges or what burdens that i face Uh, God will continue to be with me because he's done it before and he will do it now and he'll continue to do it because he's an ever-present God and he doesn't change in his unchanging hand. And so I I love that assurance. I love having someone like my wife to pour into me too spiritually. And we talk about these things. We have a session every week called Roles in Christ, RIC, where we just sort of talk about how God has worked in our lives individually, whether at her office as a pediatric dentist or, you know, uh, in me in neurosurgery. So it's, uh, it's a blessing. And, You know in science sometimes it's a little bit difficult to balance it you know when you're in your professional space where many of your co-workers and colleagues are thinking neck up and about the evidence base of this you know organism and this um cell that works this particular way that creates this vessel that does this and you know sometimes you had to sit back and say yes i do believe in that i it's one it's wonderful but there are things that we don't know, and we have to give it to, to God to say, like, this is this is such a special body we're able to work on and work through uh, to help save people and cure them. So uh, I see it play out many parts of my life, and I and I love the fact that I'm able to stay tied uh, to my faith. It's important to me.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite books that I read in the last few years was called Proof of Heaven by Dr. Eben Alexander. I don't know if you've read that oh, yes. one. Yes. And uh, it was fascinating to hear a brain surgeon's perspective. I mean, he... he, he basically had, I think it was uh, meningitis, if I'm not mistaken, and basically was dead and claims that he has, has seen have I mean, the book is about like a neurosurgeon's way of, because he was a skeptic uh, for a while. And uh, he was you know basically saying, here's scientifically why this doesn't exist. And now he's gone the other way. And that was just a fascinating uh, book to read. It was uh, almost a little bit too intellectual for me, because it was just so, it was so fascinating from like a uh, neurosurgeon uh, perspective that obviously I'm a high school t- English teacher I don't have the training that y'all do in brain science but it was fascinating to hear that and uh, just just learn from that perspective so uh, I'm super excited to read this book and dive into it and and, and read your ideas uh, final question I love to ask my guest the name of the show is in no hurry and the idea was basically I started this during a pretty busy season in my life and uh, kind of a way to focus on whenever you are in a hurry just slowing down and hearing what God is doing in your life and and what what, discerning what God is trying to say to you. Uh, Whenever your life does get hectic and crazy, which I can imagine it does, especially right now during a pandemic, what are some things that you do to slow down and make sure that you spend time with God? I think you kind of already alluded to that, things that you and your wife do, but what are some of your your daily go-to things, even if it's just going for a walk or or what it is, but uh, what do you do just to slow down in your life and make sure that you have some balance?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think it's uh, constant communication with my wife. It is exercise as well, running, uh, staying fit and active. Uh, music is always very important to us. Uh, we listen to Tasha Cobbs and Tamala Mann and Kirk Franklin quite a bit. Um, uh, those are some of our favorite artists. So we we really and we actually have our kids listening to Tasha Cobbs. There's one song she has called "You Know My Name," and my kids start putting up their hands and and worshiping, and they're you know 21 months old. <laughs> It's just so funny to see it it's <laughs> That's awesome. it, it, it's amazing so yeah i think it's connecting with family um you know prayer uh working out listening to gospel music allowing uh that to sort of enter my soul uh so that i can you know stay uh equally yoked and and still moving on the right path despite all the things that you watch on tv and the the right. disasters that you see around the world it can be very depressing to to right. take all that in um but with our job uh to you know, affect change in people's lives and having people's lives in your hands at times, uh, you have to be locked in and centered. And um, I think, you know, being with Christ and uh, having those outlets and those mediums to to find him consistently, uh, that keeps me in no hurry.
0: I love it. Uh, I think Your book is, I, I assume, available anywhere people can buy books. Uh, but what, what are some places that people can connect with you? You're on social media. Uh, so what are ways people can follow you and just stay connected to, to your work and what you're doing?
1: Absolutely. Uh, so I'm on all over social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just my name, Myron Roll. Uh, You can find it, it's blue check mark verified. You can get the book at www.2percentway.com, twopercentway.com. It's at Barnes and Nobles, everywhere you get books online or in bookstores, it's there today, May 17th. We're fired up uh, and we're excited. So yeah, you can connect with me and uh, you can connect with me through our website, caribbeannf.org. That is my foundation that does work in the Caribbean to upscale neurosurgical capacity. So we're excited about that too.
0: Well, great. Dr. Roll, this is great to have you on here. Great to talk with you. Again, I'm excited to read, it, read this book and I hope others that are listening are, are uh, interested in buying it and reading it as well. So appreciate uh, your time and, and sharing your story and uh, i sure we'll catch up again soon. Thank you. Thank
1: you very much for having me.
0: Well, thanks again to Dr. Myron Roll for joining me this week on In No Hurry. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Definitely be sure to check his book out. I am excited to get into this and read it is based on this conversation that he and I had such a practical message and thanks for tuning into this podcast I hope you will stick around for future episodes if you would like to stay connected I would love to connect with you on social media you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Cole Claiborne and then you can also find me on Facebook Cole Douglas Claiborne But one of the best ways to stay in touch is to subscribe to my newsletter. I'll put the link to that in the show notes. So make sure you check that out. I've got a lot of exciting things planned for that. So I would love for you to be a part of that community too. You can also find everything on my website, coleclayborne.com. would love to connect with you over there as well. Plenty of ways to get in touch with me. But thanks again for tuning in this week. I hope you have a great week and find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And we'll catch you next time.